Will you be jamming out to a little Dave Matthews band tomorrow in your New Year's Eve celebration no there, Tyler? I didn't, I didn't think so. I've got a couple friends that are huge Dave Matthews fans. By the way, if you are a Dave Matthews fan, it is required that mm-hmm. you put in your Twitter bio how many Dave Matthews band shows you've been to. Otherwise, you're not actually a Dave Matthews band fan. So I guess I, I enjoy uh, a little Dave now and then, but I do not have how many concerts I have attended in my bio. It's only been I've only been to four, I think, so four. it's not like okay. an insane amount, but I enjoyed Dave back in my college days when it was all the rage, but uh, it seems like uh, it's still, if you're in college, there's definitely that uh, people who discover Dave, and it's, it feels like it's the perfect college tune yeah. like it's like so, a soundtrack to a lot of people's college college days and then you move past it you know what's funny is you say that and uh i went on that trip uh in october with a bunch of my college buddies down mm-hmm. in north carolina yeah. and there was one night where there was a it was i can't remember if it was a college football saturday night or if it was the nfl sunday night mm-hmm. i think it was the college football night and we're all outside like watching the game and then there's two of them that are just locked inside the house on their TV inside. They're full blasting a Dave Matthews band <laughs> concert and like they're playing the air Live saxophone and like good drums and all that stuff. They were having the time of their lives. That's how you know it's a good the, trip. Uh, yeah, with the uh, Dave Matthews band impromptu uh, living room concert that good, they were throwing. Good stuff. Um, Melarnaki in for Waddle and Sylvie today. All right, you had a New Year's Eve question that you wanted to throw at me here. Yeah, so I've been seeing this all a little over Twitter over the past like week or so. Everyone's calling New Year's Eve an overrated holiday. Are you in that camp that New- is New Year's Eve an overrated holiday? Interesting. I'd have to kind of like think about what is what holidays are overrated first and mm-hmm. foremost, right? And I think I could get on board with that. I could see the conversation. I think it's definitely you know, and this maybe too will it like depending on your age. I think yeah. I think once you if you have kids it's weird, too, because it takes on a different form, right? Like, if you have younger kids, mm-hmm. what I will tell you is, for a long time, we definitely... My, I, don't, I can't tell you, but it, my kids went a long time in their life before staying up past midnight. Okay. And it, it wasn't... New Year's Eve, they, they weren't even getting until 11 o'clock. We would do a countdown at 10 o'clock. Uh-huh. And, and we definitely avoided keeping them up because we were regimented about keeping them on their bedtime as much as possible because one piece of advice i will give anybody out there who is a younger parent if you can keep them kids on a schedule in terms of getting a a good amount of sleep you know and especially when they're younger it's 10 to 11 hours generally if you can keep them on their schedule it goes a long way into providing sanity for your life because if you get them the proper amount of sleep kids generally keep them entertained they're happy it's just a much easier way of going <laughs> going about the day by day as a parent so uh-huh. scheduling was always important so my kids it, it was a long time before we finally let them actually break past the midnight barrier especially central i think we let them like we, we started one year with okay we'll let you do east coast time we'll let you watch the apple drop yeah and then uh then, but but then we're quickly hitting hitting the road and going. You know, we're going to have you in bed by midnight. That was my wife's plan with me for a long, long time. And so, my kids are now twelve. So I've definitely been dealing in the world of New Year's Eve with children for the last thirteen or so years. Because obviously, mm-hmm. when my wife's pregnant, that was also a right. different experience. Uh-huh. We weren't going out and having a having a whole free for all. 
Um, so it's de- it definitely changes your outlook on how you celebrate it. But it's cool. It, it becomes different when they finally are like five, six years old and they can they don't need all of your attention as a parent. And so they can run and have fun with the, the poppers and yeah. have a big celebration as well. So it changes. And I think there's a, a there's a time period where they get kids get really excited about the New Year's. And it is it, it's it's kind of cool to observe that. Right. Yeah. Whereas there's also a stage when you I think depending on whether or not you have kids in your late 20s or early 30s. Where I think you have the conversation, am I going to really blow it out? Am I going to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. on an experience that I know is going to be overpriced? And I'm going to be, you know, I'm, if you go to, an, you know, go to a, whether it's a restaurant or a bar where they're charging yeah. you a lot of money, you're getting all dressed up. If you're going to a, a big party, you're also at the mercy of who else is at that party, right? Right. And mm-hmm. so I think that's, that goes with, is it overrated because a lot of it's going to be dependent upon can i have a good time with some of my close friends but also some complete strangers who could make this a living nightmare right Right. and then you also have to always account for your transportation back i think that's also the big issue Mm -hmm. right if you're if you're staying somewhere where you can just crash i think it's always a much better time personally yeah if you can either if you're either at a hotel where you're just crashing or if you're at someone's house where you're close to home or you're crashing there, mm-hmm. I think that makes for a better experience. If if you haven't figured out though your plans home, I think that's where it always turns into amateur hour. Because no <laughs> yeah. matter what, oh, you you open like nowadays you open the Uber and the surge pricing of through course. the roof. And if you haven't planned accordingly, it can be a nightmare at times, right? Because yeah. and I think that always lends to the question as well: at what point do you determine in your head it's when you're up too late? When you know it's it's not good, is there a time on the clock when you say to yourself, "This is not a good spot to be at"? Um, it's not. I don't look at a time per mm-hmm. se. It's just for me. Like, if I cannot, if I know I cannot function anymore, that yeah. and like, and I like the eyes get really heavy. Yes. Like that's when I'm done. For like for me, no matter what, I've always found that if I'm in the four a.m. hour and I'm still awake, yeah. and not close to my bed. This is yeah. the, the the night has gone horribly awry at some point, and things are not going to end well no matter what. Usually, two or three is kind of like a happy spot for me. When I hit four, bad things always happen. Yeah, I, I would I would mostly agree with you. I think like three o'clock, if you're going to give it like the the bar equivalent, that's like last call sure, for yeah. like my sanity at that point. And then four o'clock, like it, it's hard out. You got to get out. Like. Yeah, when you hit four, four good yeah, things you, are not happening. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, because at four now you're when you hit, when you're still awake at four a.m. and you're still imbibing. Now you know you know the early morning diner is in play. No sleep mm-hmm. whatsoever. Things get crazy and hectic, and it's not necessarily where you want to be. So I've always found four a.m. That's too late. That's a bad spot to be in. If you're if yeah, you're if you're ringing in the new year, there's certain times like certain things just look different on the clock too. Like four a.m. Yeah, when you see four a.m. on the clock, like you know you're in the next day when it's two or three a.m. Because but now it's okay. It's and now you're punting on tomorrow. That's what too. I'm saying. It's at best, it's you're just punting on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. There's a good chance you might be. The next 48 hours might be a complete miss because also you know that if you're up at 4 a.m., chances are, again, there's there's a possibility. If you're up at 4 a.m., the chances are usually, I'd say, better than 50% that you're going to end up at a diner somewhere because you yes. haven't gone to bed and you know that daybreak is around the corner. And if you're still awake and drinking and it is 
all of a sudden light outside, crack yeah. of dawn, mm-hmm. somebody is going to suggest that you hit up a diner somewhere for an omelet. It There's is, no question yeah. about it. And in your state, you can't say no. Yeah. You're not, oh, it, yeah. it sounds like the greatest idea that anybody's right? ever yeah. had. It, yeah, the only people who are not going are the ones that have already crashed. The, the, yes, the only people who are not going are the ones who cannot express to you verbally what they wanted to because they've yeah. passed out. Right. Or they're just too drunk to speak. Right. Let's uh, check in with Danny, who's in Villa Park. Danny, you're on ESP 1000, Meller and Aki, in for Waddle and Sylvie. Hey, so um, I heard you guys talking about the, uh, um, you know, what to do if you have young children on New Year's Eve. So me and my wife usually just stay home with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have three kids under five. Yes. Uh, but Moretti's this year is, uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm not sure if they do it every year, but they're having a kids' New Year's Eve party. And for a family of five uh, to go, with gratuity and tax included was $89 and you get a full family style dinner, a dessert bar, and they have live music and confetti and a countdown for the kids. So, uh, uh, just, you know, it sounds pretty cheap to me. No, no, that's absolutely fantastically affordable. It does sound like a good spot there, Danny. Do you know, is the countdown happening at midnight or or because it's kids? Are they doing it earlier? Oh, so yeah. So, um, there's three of them. So you can, uh, we did the later one because I work tomorrow, but Mm -hmm. we, there's a one o'clock, uh, a four o'clock and then a seven o'clock. So it looks like they probably do it around two and a half. Uh, probably two, two and a half hours into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, and then they give themselves time to clean up and stuff like see, that, I'm assuming. See, Tyler, Danny, as a father of three children under the age of five, understands the importance of a routine in the bedtime. Am I right, Danny? Oh, 100%. Books, bath, and then bed. Absolutely. Oh, my man, the three Bs. He knows. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Take care. 1 p.m. New Year's Eve celebration. Well, you know oh, what? The, the, the 1 p.m. countdown is for all the uh, parents who want to have the kids to have the countdown before their mid-afternoon nap. I promise you that. Uh, how about, yeah, you like the idea of uh, 7 p.m. completely lying to your kids and oh, telling boy. them it's New Year's yeah, 7, 7 p.m. countdown? Yeah. <laughs> it's New Year's somewhere, I promise. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but I feel like the, the way that you've sort of laid it out for me, as someone who, who's still kind of learning... Um, but it sounds like New Year's Eve is one of those like roller coaster holidays in terms of the thrill level. Like sometimes it's lower and then other times it's better. Whereas like Thanksgiving, it's the same thing every single year, right? It, it is a, a, a holiday predicated on tradition. Yeah. Whereas like New Year's Eve, you go through different phases of your life and that's kind of determinant of what, uh, how you're celebrating. Too. Well, no, it's a great point. And not just for most people, it's not just traditions of, you know what to expect, but it's also traditions of you usually know where you're going to be for your whether, you know, it's your Thanksgiving holiday or if it's your, your you know, uh, your Christmas or Hanukkah celebration. You generally most people are at one or two different family members and it's this consistent, right? New Year's Eve's oftentimes a free for all. You you yeah. never have uh, consecutive New Year's Eve spent in the same location. Often. Right. And again, it goes out to, are you going to do it up big? I've done that before where you, you know, you go to a, a hotel and you end up in a ballroom and you're again, paying exorbitant prices. You have a good time, but then depending on how things go, you know, yeah, yeah your hotel room experience is going to be good. Things are completely haywired. So I, yeah, I think it's a little overrated because yeah, to your point, there's no consistency in tradition with the New Year's Eve celebration. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the map. You could be at a different bar. You could be in a different state. You could be whatever. Like You never know year to year where you're going to be. And what's not made itself a tradition, despite the fact that initially it was the plan, was the college football pl- semifinals. Yes. That was 
when they dreamed up the idea of having the the four team playoff and they you know took over for the BCS the idea was to make the semifinals and new year's eve a blowout and they wanted it to become okay well they had lost some of the uh the uh, allure of having things on New Year's Day, kind of what we've ta- I've talked about with you, is they lost their stronghold on the significance of bowl games on New Year's Day. And so the idea was, all right, let's recapture some of that and make New Year's Eve the new college football day where you're like, yes. Yeah. But what th- I think I remember the first year they did it, Tyler, a lot of people had no idea. Like, it was one of those notes where, oh, everybody was so excited that they were getting a college football playoff of four teams that the details of, oh, by the way, the semifinals are going to take place on New Year's Eve kind of got lost in the shuffle. And then I remember the first year, like right around December or something, in mid-December, people were like, hey, by the way, don't forget, yeah. college football playoffs are going to be on the semi, uh, the semifinals are going to be taking place on New Year's Eve. People lost their mind. They're like, wait, what are you talking about? I have plans. I'm going out right. on New Year's yeah. Eve. What do you mean the college football playoffs and semifinals are occurring on New Year's Eve? And I don't think, and that's why it's shifted from year to year now, too. It's not always, I think they try and do it now on the Saturday, right? right. That's yes. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But initially the plan was to always do it on New Year's Eve. And then quickly they realized that for television ratings and for obviously sponsorship dollars was not a good idea. Right. I, I think the best way to do it is... Obviously, the championship game is always going to be Championship Monday, right? Mm-hmm. Just like it is in, in every sport for, for college. Um, if, it, if the playoff semifinals land on a New Year's Eve, just play them on the Monday. Yeah. Right? So, like, so, so you're saying if so, the Saturday is New Year's Eve, just play them on Monday. So you're saying this year it should be on the, on, uh, the second. The second, yes. You would do it this Monday. I would do it the second. The problem they run into, and they know it, is football. The NFL is still mm-hmm. in the middle of their season, and they're not, you know, they're not That's moving true. off of Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. And certainly, ES- I guess, yeah, that wouldn't work. ESPN, which yeah. carries, you know, has the contracts for both Monday Night Football and for the College Football National Championship and semifinal, the playoffs, they obviously, it won't work. Yeah. So they won't, it would have to, honestly, you'd have to move it to the to Friday t- or a Tuesday. And you're yeah. at, you don't want to You do can't it. do the Tuesday because you need to have the game on the, the championship has to be on the Monday. I know, but you could still do it theoretically on the third, like this Tuesday, and then just—I don't know if they want to give the short week that way. Yeah, because people really care. They—they—they <laughs> they, they, they like, yeah, oh, the student athlete. You wouldn't want to ask them to play on six well, days rest and not seven. College is one of the sports, or college football though. They don't really deal with the short week ever. No, you're right. So, I mean, that, even think true. about think about the last time we saw Ohio State, and or particularly Ohio State, but think about the last time we saw TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia play it's been like a month so yeah. these teams yeah like you're going the the short week after that i i don't know if that, i think that'd be a little weird so how i much, do think it's too spaced out also but so how much of the semifinals tomorrow will you i guess not how much but how will you consume it what's your plan for because it is new year's eve tomorrow yeah so we, we are hosting the new year's party at our place tomorrow um so i will have it on thanks for the invite 
Well, this is the first time hearing. You want, it, you want to come uh, here? Can I bring invite ex- extended? Can I, can I bring the kids? Everyone has guys- to stay up till midnight. <laughs> Everyone has to stay up till four a.m. Do, do you guys have a seven and a ten uh, ten p.m. countdown for my no, kids? No, but we do have a one p.m. countdown for your kids. Okay, right. um, but okay. So the the TCU Michigan game that'll be on while I'm probably cleaning stuff yes, around the that apartment. Sounds about right. Yeah, um, who's hosting? Yep, and then I'll probably catch the end of that game when like everything's sort of settled down within our house. Everything's set. Um, and then the Ohio State Georgia game will be on. I just don't know how much I'll watch. I'll 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 be like score checking. I'd imagine. Yes, but I, I won't. Ca- I, casually glancing up. I don't know how when many you, when you hear Fowler yeah. and Herbie. You know, the dogs get something get louder. Yeah. Um. I I don't know if I'll. I don't know how many like full drives I'll watch of that game though. No, I'm with you. That's that's what it has become for me. Is relegated to yes. It'll I'll turn it on. It will definitely be in the background, mm-hmm. and then I'll be listening listening for you know the uh, the octaves of the play by play man's voice yeah. to go up. And if so, then well, I don't I'll, even know if I'll have the the sound on for the game. Quite frankly, because you figure you'll probably have a little what bit of music throw, playing. Throwing some uh, Christmas music or Dave Matthews. What's on in the background for you, Tyler? Uh, none. Neither and neither. Okay. Um, but you figure like there will be probably some music playing un- instead of the 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 game. Mm-hmm. So maybe there will be like a faint bit of uh, Herbie and Fowler, but probably not much and if the, at all. And it's it's uh, it's three o'clock and seven o'clock for the kicks, of course. Mm-hmm. And remember, college football games are long. Well, I was going to say <laughs> they've allotted four hours, but I do. Matt, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't said halftime show. I, well, so yeah, long. sure. Well, it's not just that; it's also the fact the stoppage of time in between it will be first down, first down, yeah, yeah, like the extended breaks. It's everything, Charlie. Let's be honest. But I'm just trying to remember: hasn't it at times too? They 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 do they hold the kickoff of the second game if the first game's not over? I feel like they do. I yeah, believe you're right. I think they do. Yeah. I'm trying to remember now. It, again. I don't play cl- close enough attention to remember for sure, but I think they actually hold the kickoff of the second game if the first game hasn't ended. So obviously, whenever it rolls in, it actually happens. And then you know the other thing, I'm trying to. I, I haven't. I never. We don't really deal with this because we're in the Central Time Zone. I'd imagine it's going to go into mi- past the midnight. Se- the second game, if you're in the east on the east in the Eastern Time Zone, it, which it is runs where it's right, being played, right? It's that one's at Mercedes Benz, yes, I believe. You are correct. It's in Georgia. So I, I never even thought about that because I've never had to deal with it because I'm always doing the countdown at home. And right. again, it has become background noise, which is you have to. This is not the way they drew it up. This no. cannot be what they wanted when they were initially thinking, OK, let's put together a semifinal. You know what would work, though? If you played these games at 11 and three, I think it could work. If you just bump things up like because like three o'clock start local time or in uh, in central time, like. Mm-hmm. You're getting out, like people. Maybe you go to dinner and you miss the end of the the second game, but for the most part, you, I think you get what you're in, intending for there. Interesting. I'm thinking. I'm trying to think it through and how much when you're getting ready for. Like I think it's the seven o'clock game is just a z- disaster because yeah, people are getting ready. They're dinner, getting dressed. They're getting showered yeah. up. They're yeah. They're whether they're dinner, in, yeah. whatever they're doing. The seven o'clock game though is just not getting full attention. You might be able to watch the start of the three o'clock game but then the reality is too at some point because as charlie noted it's so long right eventually it starts bumping up against your whatever you're getting ready for you know what i mean yeah so interesting i i think it'll be as always in the background and then of course if it gets out of hand like it traditionally does it will quickly 
become something that I'm not even paying close attention right. to, right? Like, you'll quickly move on to you're what off. you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. Let's try S- Jimmy, who's in Steger. Jimmy, you're on Waddle and Sylvie, Mellor and Aki, and for the guys. What's up? Hi, guys. Good, after- good afternoon. Good evening. Happy New Year. Hey, I just want to do a kudos for somebody in our, t- in our city, one of our great announcers. And right now, we've got as good as announcers up and down the dials and television radio we've, I think we've had. These guys are really all, ladies and gentlemen, all really good. Kudos to Johnny Whiteman last night trying to broadcast as ill as he was. It was amazing how the job he did, and I just want to do some kudos for him, guys. All right, uh, Jimmy, thanks for the uh, shout-out to John Wedeman, the Blackhawks play-by-play man on radio, of course. Um, I'm trying to – the I had the game on, but I, I did not – Actually, had I saw they lost right. To yeah, the three to three to one. Patrick Kane scored a goal. Uh, good time. Patty Boyle had the breakdown, of course, uh, on the uh, on the on NBC Sports on the post game show. It is funny because I was watching it and I was like, "Boy, they're relegated." I I always uh, Boyle's the best, and I always stick to myself. They've fallen to the to the points where he's just, they're breaking down a Patrick Kane goal. <laughs> Right, like it's so bad for the Hawks these days that, yeah. like, they're like, and listen, it was it was a it was a nice goal, it was a nice shot, um, and but they're so just they're such a disaster right now, and everything hinges on hopefully the Blackhawks winning the lottery so they can land Connor Bedard, who is thought to be a generational talent. You know, the in the um, in the inkling of a, uh, a a Connor McDavid or a Nathan McKinnon one of those generational first-round overall picks, that's the hope. And I, God help me, if the Blackhawks don't land the top pick, Tyler, I don't know where the salvation comes from for this, for this organization. They're going to be um, in persona non grata for a long time. Yeah, if, I think I land him. I think I saw a couple shifts when I was at a restaurant one time, and that's that's the extent of Blackhawks that I've watched. And it's a shame because, like, for someone my age too, who grew up, yeah, like I like I was in high school, and let's see, it was it was ten, thirteen, fifteen. So I was in finishing up middle school and then starting high school and finishing high school mm-hmm. with that dynasty. Yes, and it was just fun to watch. And like for a generation like me. I feel like a lot of kids grew up playing hockey because they saw Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Duncan Keith, Seabrook, Hossa, all those different guys. I do wonder, and because you are you were kind of past the point where you know their their success was kind of propelling probably kids just a little bit younger than you into okay, yeah. that's cool. Learn I want to play hockey yeah. exactly because it is critical. Um, if kids are getting this, into hockey, you do need to learn how to skate. Like at the age of like five or six, it's, it gives you a much better shot, right? Like yeah. anything after that, and it's hard to kind of you know ingratiate yourself and, and play catch up if you haven't learned how to skate by that point. Right. Uh, the other thing too was like that was my first taste of what a championship looks like and feels like because mm-hmm. the white Sox won when i was eight years old mm-hmm. so like no, i'm five eight, yeah. eight, I, i'm eight years old like i'm kind of i wasn't even a white Sox fan but i was a, a baseball fan and I, I like the cubs um but like i'll follow the Sox, and i remember watching a lot of those games too but it was still like in the the formative years of, of sports fandom there um but like 10 13 15 like that was my first real taste of oh like t- 
teams in this city actually can win a championship, right? Sure. And then got it again in 16 with the Cubs, and then it's been barren ever since. But uh, I guess with the Chicago Sky, too, um, have, have gotten one as well. But it's just, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of things to root for in this city. Yeah, it's it's cer- of- it certainly hasn't been like uh, Boston was over the last 20 oh, yeah. so years where they obnoxiously seemed to be if winning. If there wasn't a parade, it was a failure of a year. Yeah, they were looking for multiple titles every single year. Uh, of course, uh, led primarily by... Brady and the Patriots dynasty. 312-332-3776. Let us know if uh, you will be consuming college football playoffs or if you will have it on in the background and uh, attending to other things as you get set for your New Year's Eve plans. We also want to talk a little bit about baseball and what Steve Cohen, the New York Mets owner, is how he's changing not just what the Mets are doing, but the entirety of baseball and how in particular, the two organizations you mentioned, the Cubs winning in 16, how it's going to affect the Cubs and the White Sox moving forward. We'll talk about that next here on ESPN 1000. You're listening to Waddle and Sylvie. ESPN 1000, and now on FM at 100.3 HD2. This is Chicago's home for sports. Jeff Miller, Tyler Aki filling in for Waddle and Sylvie this evening on the eve before New Year's Eve. Feel free to uh, let us know what your plans are for tomorrow. 312-332-3776. Now, you and I, you will be on tomorrow doing uh, White Sox Weekly. Is that correct? Yes, from 9 to 10 a.m. tomorrow. An early edition. White Sox Weekly. All right, an early edition of White Sox Weekly with Tyler Aki from 9 to 10 tomorrow. So make sure you... Check that out. What uh, are you uh, going to have any guests on tomorrow? We'll, we'll talk to James Fegan from okay. the Athletic tomorrow, and then we'll also go through like the five uh, best moments from the White Sox season this year. And also, uh, I, I do want to piggyback off of the conversation that Carmen and Sylvie had yesterday, talking about the best athletes in Chicago. And I'm going to lay out the case why I think it was D- Dylan Cease. Okay, for 2022, I, I think uh, you have a strong case to make and, and i think I, I know carm would agree too yes yes i heard him say that and uh, uh i think i well, i would probably still put justin fields above dylan cease but i'll be glad to listen and hear the case be made for dylan cease by tyler rocky on white sex weekly tomorrow uh we did you and i have been kind of talking it off air about some of the mlb free agent moves and some of the cash that has been getting splashed around all across baseball, in particular yeah. by Steve Cohen and the Mets, mm-hmm. of course. Like They lost Jacob deGrom, and that did not hinder him from going out and trying to make the, the Mets the best possible team he can make. He's, he's really been breaking the yeah. bank for all, all intents and purposes. I mean, if you told Mets fans you were going to lose Jacob deGrom this year in, in the offseason and be happy with your offseason somehow... As a result, I, I don't think Mets fans could believe that was a possible situation. Absolutely, because they just stepped right in and they went out and got Justin Verlander, who was almost the like for like replacement. If you had to pick one guy, yep. okay, you're going to lose to Grom. Can you get, you know, a better replacement for him? You know what? You can make the argument because he's usually healthier and will give you more innings that Justin Verlander was the one guy who would have been a better, you know, use of resources based on his ability to, you know, give you close to 180. Mm-hmm. in that 200-inning range. So that's something you can't count with DeGrom. But it's not just the fact that it was De, uh, it was Verlander, but, of course, you know, he re-signed Brandon Nimmo. Mm-hmm. Last season, they, uh, they inked Francisco Lindor to right. a 300 million offer. 
of course. Now, we're going to have to see how it plays out with Carlos Correa, of course. But, you know, it seems like there is still the inclination by Cohen and the Mets. They want to get that deal done. Now, I don't know if it's it it doesn't sound like it's going to be for the exact number that they initially were reported on. But it sounds like based on everything I read, they're still going to find a way to make sure that Carlos Correa is playing for the Mets, despite the physical not coming back the way they were hoping. Right. Right. Looking like it will probably be a short term deal, maybe even one similar to what he signed with uh, the twins, too, where it's like a one year opt out. But maybe it's a a three, four year deal. That he ends up signing a year-to-year situation, yeah. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they also re-signed Edwin Diaz to a deal over a hundred million dollars. So, this was though exactly what a lot of owners were afraid of. If they let Steve Cohen take over as the Mets owner, they were concerned that because he's a multi-billionaire, that he would be able to go ahead and spend without regard for the luxury tax. And Jeff Passan was on with Waddle and Sylvie about a week ago, and he mentioned that this is exactly what people were fearful of. Oh, ab- absolutely. Like, there there was that fear, and hey, guess what? It was warranted. Yeah. But uh, the, the truth is, I think baseball is a much more interesting place with Steve Cohen in it no doubt. than it was before he arrived. And it, it, with a sport that has as many issues reaching younger fans as it does, uh, I don't know what you can do aside from having a juggernaut in a big city that, uh, you know, as much as, as they want to be the good guy, are going to, by dint of their payroll, wind up a villain. It's always good to have a villain when you got stories, yeah. and baseball is just one 162-game story. So... How do you feel about what Steve Cohen's done for the Mets so far? I think it's it's fun to watch, especially because it's a team that doesn't affect you or I mm-hmm. in terms of our rooting interest. Really, like I, obviously, like the the Mets are in the same uh, league as the as the Cubs, but they're not fighting for the same division. You could still have a, a way to make the playoffs um, and win your division that way too. But I think it's fascinating to watch from afar, and it's the same thing that can be said about the Golden State Warriors right now. There, there's no regard for paying that luxury tax. It is a win at all costs, and the owner's basically going to say, "Listen, the blood's off my hands if we don't win. If we don't win a World Series, mm-hmm. right? I've given you all the assets you need, all the money that you need to go out and make this happen. Now it's on you, the general manager Billy Epler, to go make this happen, and." Another thing that I thought of, too, is a lot of people talking about the White Sox and, oh, Jerry, sell the team. Steve Cohen's probably a bad thing for the White Sox because baseball's not going to let another Steve Cohen in. And for the the fans that want some owner that's going to come in and spend every dollar to try to win a championship, that guy's probably not coming to the White Sox as a result of Steve Cohen now. Hmm. Uh, I, well, first and foremost, you know, Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf would have to want to be, you know, in the market to sell the franchise. Right. And right now that, that doesn't seem to be the situation. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, I'm with you, though. I do think it's a bad thing for the White Sox because I don't think the Reinsdorfs are going to be willing to go out and splurge the way Steve Cohen has proven he is going to with the Mets. And they're not going to break the bank They're That luxury tax, which had essentially acted as a threshold that no team would cross, mm-hmm. he's blown it out of the water. Yeah, right? doesn't and care. Will other teams, though, now be willing in an effort to try and compete with him? Will teams like the Dodgers 
be willing to push past it because they want to stay in contention with the Mets, right? I do think it would be good for teams, well, it would be good for the fan bases of teams that don't always want to adopt the idea of spending into, into and past the luxury tax. It would be good if the Mets have success because if they prove that the, you know, it's the money above all else acquiring the talent that is going to be the best for your team to win ball games. Then other then the the extra pressure will be added to teams around baseball, right? Oftentimes, like teams, like if the Yankees spend money and it's not in the best manner, it's not, you know not not in the most intelligent manner, and they end up getting bitten by it. It's easy for ownership to say, "Listen, the you know spending money on uh, free agents is not the panacea that you think. It doesn't lead directly to wins." What I will tell you is somebody who watches the Premier League very closely, there is an absolute top six clubs and then everybody else. And the top six in soccer buy up the best players because it's a little bit different. It's not direct free agency in soccer. But what they do is they they buy players from other teams. you know, And they end up buying the best young players to come play for whether it's Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, those top six clubs, and actually now Newcastle with new ownership has actually started to spend like a top six club. So now it may be a top seven. But guess what? Those six and seven clubs are always at the top of the table, which is the standings in mm-hmm. the Premier League. And I very well... Never at the risk of relegation. Never, too. because they, they have rosters that are so far and above the rest of the teams they're playing and it to the point where their second 11 oftentimes would be better than some of the lower level clubs in in the in the premiership. I wonder if we're going to get to a point where in baseball if if Steve Cohen forces other teams to spend like him, we could see a situation where all of a sudden it is absolutely a group of haves and then the have-nots for everybody else. And the Cubs and Sox like listen, Dansby Swanson's a nice consolation. I, I'm not going to say consolation. He's a nice addition to the team. Mm-hmm. But they still have plenty more to go before I think anybody feels comfortable saying the Cubs are definitely in contention for the North, the NL Central. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. There's still they, a, there's a bit lot away. to be done, yeah, yeah. right? And so, stuff has to go right too. Like even with Dansby Swanson, he has to produce at the same level he produced at last year with the with the Braves. If if he wants to have that, if he wants this contract to pay off for a Cubs fans, so there's still ways to go for the Cubs to get to a point where you can see them competing with the best in the National League. Steve Cohen, though, he's showing you that he has bought this baseball team not to be a moneymaker for him, but because he wants to invest in it. He's treating it like what I think most people want their owners to treat their teams like, right? It is a vanity project. It is a toy, but go ahead and have fun with it. You know what I mean? Treat it like that sports car, right? It's not meant to get you around, you know, from point A to point B. It's meant for you to 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 treat like a you know sports car going short distances, very very fast, right? Mm -hmm. You enjoy it, and I don't know if other teams will follow. I promise you, they they won't unless they're forced to. And if the Mets have success, though, the other teams like the Yankees. And the Dodgers and maybe the Astros and I don't know I don't think the Red Sox they're playing a different game right now yeah. but they'll feel compelled you have to keep up with the Joneses and to do so you have to spend and I'm sick and tired as a fan of teams in this city watching 
you know, and being sold the bill of goods like, hey, we can't spend, we can't go past the luxury tax. Why not? Why, yeah. What's what's preve- what's truly preventing you from doing that? Right? right. There's still profitable businesses and entities that you could, you know, still get a lot of value out of if you're willing to spend. And you know what? The 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 other excuse I always hate hearing, Tyler, is that the attendance for White Sox games is part of the reason why they're not willing to go out and splurge. Guess what? If you're one of the best teams in baseball, I don't care if you're playing at Wrigley or if you're playing at Guaranteed Rate Field. If you're one of the best teams, undoubtedly, not just a fringe team trying to you know, make its way into the playoffs. If you're one of the best teams and, and it shows by the, your record, fans will show up. Dude, you could play in Peoria. And fans will show up if you're one of the best of the best. Like it, it it's it's not a, an interest thing. It, it is you lack the star power right now to go out and attract the, this level of, of fandom. Listen, fanatics, they're fickle. If you win, they will go and support you. I promise you. And if you win, you'll find new ones too that'll want to jump on Absolutely. the bandwagon. There's no doubt about it. Jim's in Lake Geneva. What's going on, Jimmy? Hey, Jim. New Year's. What's up? Uh, not much. So uh, I was listening to you guys talk about Steve Cohen and what he could mean for baseball, and I thought about a couple things. First off, I do think while he's spending significantly more than precedent dictated in the past, he still has to show that the money he's spending is actually going to be worth it. Um, and I think if the Mets end up winning a World Series, it may change baseball significantly. But if they end up falling flat on their face in a division that has three really good teams and they miss the playoffs or something like that, it could really shift the narrative on even the spending. But here's, I think, the big piece of it, right? The Cubs last year, if you kind of do the math and calculate, probably made somewhere around $400 million just from everything, right? $400 million. And... They're spending about maybe 200 this year in revenue. So this whole idea that teams don't have the money to spend is a huge farce. I mean, the average team, I think, there is their own private contract and television contracts makes over $100 million. And you have a handful of baseball teams who won't cross $50 million in revenue or uh, salary this year. So I guess long story short, uh, two things. It depends on how good the Mets are with all the money they're spending because you still have to spend money wisely. And then the other thing is, hopefully, at the very least, what he does is makes people realize that you, this whole idea that baseball teams are losing money is a, is a lie. No, Thank I, you guys. I hear you, Jim. No, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And that's why I think you should, you know what? Aside from rooting for the Cubs and White Sox, root for the Mets to do well this year. Yeah. Root for the Mets to go deep and into the, Padres. the playoffs. Padres Mets as well. and Padres, teams whose owners are not treating their teams like you know ATMs, but actually treating them like entities that are you know for the public good, right? Like the entire city enjoys when their teams do well. It's undeniable. It doesn't matter what sport. If your team in your city is doing well, there's a civic pride that goes along with it. And so for owners to invest in that, that's what you want as a fan yeah. base. That's what you're hoping for. And I throw another team in there as well, the Rangers, yeah. too, with what they did last offseason with Seager and Simeon and now this offseason with DeGrom giving him $185 million, I believe it was. Like Those are the teams that they're not in the, the same level of market necessarily. Well, I guess New York with the Mets, but they're still team two mm-hmm. in, in, in New York. Um, they're not in the same caliber as the Chicago's, but they're still finding a way. 
and their owners are finding a way to spend money. And you brought it up at the time too, like the the Padres selling out their season tickets when they made the trade for for Juan Soto the next yeah. season. Like that goes a long way. Absolutely. And that'll you bring in one megastar like that, you will energize the city. Absolutely. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Miller and Aki in for Waddle and Sylvie. Up next, I've got a Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback making headlines, and it's not the one you think I'm talking about. Right here on ESPN One Thousand. Miss a show? All your faves, ready and waiting on the ESPN Chicago app. You are listening to Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. Jeff Meller, Tyler Aki, hanging out with you until 6 o'clock tonight in for Waddle and Sylvie. All right, so as we went to break, I mentioned there is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback who is making headlines, but it is not Tom Brady. It is actually their backup, Blaine Gabbert, who had himself quite the day the other day performing a rescue. You'll never, uh, you'll never guess, or you'll never believe, but check this out. Blaine Gabbert explaining exactly what unfolded the other day as he was jet skiing in uh, Tampa Bay. So the story, as I remember it, we were just on the jet skis yesterday afternoon. It was me, my middle brother Tyler, my younger brother Brett, and they just got in town yesterday from St. Louis. So I was like, all right, let's go poke around a little bit. It's a warm December afternoon. So we left our house, kind of went around the south side of Davis Island, and I wanted to show Brett the yacht club just to see all the sailboats and whatnot. So we kind of poked around in there, and I vaguely remember hearing a faint noise. And so we turned around left the Yacht Club, and I just remember looking to the west and seeing it almost looked like a crew boat in the water that had broken up into about four pieces, and I vaguely remember seeing, like, two yellow life jackets. So I was like, all right, got to go check this out. They looked like they were in duress. We raced over there. The youngest kid had just came up and said he was pinned in there, and I asked if anybody else was trapped. And then I called 911, tried to remain as calm as possible but no it all turned positive they were healthy scared nervous but you know it was just it was a pretty crappy situation that turned good in the end so I was just right place right time I guess um the credit really goes out to Tampa PD you guys the fire department the sheriff's department because they were there within five seconds it was pretty remarkable and we got them I got two on my jet ski my brother's got one the pilot was still in the water and that was when you guys pulled up, um, and I dragged him a little bit towards the, the boat, and he got on, and luckily enough, we were probably 250 meters from the beach, so we got him to the beach. Um, the fire department was there, everybody was there, and, you know, the rest is, rest is history, but um, it wasn't me. It was just my brothers and I out having fun, and the credit goes to these guys, because if they weren't there in the nick of time, it could have turned bad, um, and I'm glad everybody's healthy. So that's Bucks. Backup quarterback Blaine Gabbard, and I'm not sure if he said it specifically, but it, they were uh, hel- a helicopter, helicopter had crashed, mm-hmm. and then uh, the boys that they found were in the water, and obviously he and his brothers were on the jet skis, and they were able to help them out. So uh, great, great, uh, good Samaritan act there by Blaine Gabbert and his brothers to help out some victims of a helicopter crash there the other day. Uh, and interesting just to be just to hear him tell it. Kind of crazy, man. Yeah, like it's one of those stories where right place, right time, obviously, but also like 
the the fact that he said he he hears a faint noise yeah. and it, it compelled him to turn back. Yes, and a lot of people would, would hear that and just uh, go about their day and continue their day as it was, but. Not Blaine Gabbert. So uh, hats off to him. Yeah, no, great move by him for sure. No doubt about it. All right. Thanks, folks, for uh, sticking with us today. Hope you enjoyed it. He's Tyler Rocky. I'm Jeff Miller. Tyler is back tomorrow with White Sox Weekly coming your way at 9 a.m. I will be back at 8 a.m. on Sunday with uh, the Fantasy Football Show to help you get set for your Fantasy Football Championship. And then I'll be back at 10 o'clock with Deion Miller with the uh, Bears pregame coverage for you. As always, want to say thanks to our fine producers, Charlie Bevins and Kendra Smith today for doing a great job behind the glass. Anything else you'd like to say before uh, we head on out, Tyler? Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to all of you. Hopefully you uh, catch a little bit of the semifinals action. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, folks. This is ESPN 1000.